Coming up on This Week in Games, Ubisoft Access three more executives, Sony makes a massive investment into Epic, and I'll be sharing my learnings over the last two and a half years. Coming up, This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and I have to start with some unfortunate news and an unfortunate announcement. For you guys, not for me, I will be taking a hiatus from this week in games over the next few months. Um, I don't have an exact time determined, but I was accepted in the Dartmouth Tuck School of Business back in March, and I'll be moving across the country from San Francisco to Hanover, New Hampshire over the next few weeks. And along with that, with starting business I expect a lot of adjustments. I'm 33 years old. I'll be re-entering the academic environment. I have to study and meet up with study groups and write papers and all this other nonsense. And at 33, it's going to be hard to wrap my brain around it. So this week in games will be on hold for a bit, but I can promise you when I come back, it'll be much more equipped to handle finances and accounting and back up some of my claims with a new tool set that, you know, a school like Tuck and Tux Caliber provides, maybe marketing, who knows? Maybe I'll learn a lot of things. At least I'll be able to read, you know, S1 IPO filings and quarterly earning announcements and be able to dig into like where money is going and how companies are doing based on the lovely discounted cash flow. All right, let's kick it off with the news. Um, it's gonna be uh, a more abbreviated news episode. And then at the end, I want to share some like learnings over the past two and a half years of doing this since I'm going to be taking a break and, um, you know, some other things that were just on my mind. So let's kick it off with the news. Three more Ubisoft executives stepped down amidst the spotlight on its toxic workplace culture. So Chief Creative Officer Serge Hoscott, Managing Director of Canadian Studios Yanis Mallet and its global head of HR, Cecile Cornett, have all stepped down after deep investigations into multiple allegations and accusations were generated against them. So a bunch of people came out and said, these people suck, they're pieces of crap, and they all three stepped down, which is generally a sign that they're all guilty and they don't want whatever come out to come out. I mean, I, I, I really can't see a time when stepping down proves your innocence so this is just my interpretation it's really bad when also when the head of hr has allegations and accusations against them one of the few executives that should be in charge of keeping the workplace safe for everyone is perpetrating this environment like it's just terrible this makes six executive totals and many other ubisoft employees that haven't been announced i announced a few last week um that have recently resigned or been removed from the Ubisoft workforce. Some of these employees honestly got off too easy because they can just run away from the problem and not face the consequences for their actions. The next question for me is why is Ubisoft CEO Yves Golomont still at the company? You know, culture and executive behavior all drives from the CEO and the board should really take a deep look at Golomont and other senior executives because they cultivated the environment that this behavior thrived in for years. Like, there's nothing, no excuses, you know, and it all comes from the top. And if you want big change, you got to change the big seat. So maybe it's time for the CEO to leave. I don't know. It's up to the board. All right, next up, Manicore Games launches $1 million in a creator fund to lure developers to their platform. So Manicore is pitching itself as YouTube of game development. 
trying to make game development so easy anyone can do it. I've covered them probably since their like uh, initial seed round. I've been covering Manicore for a while. You know, they were ex-Zynga people, a couple of other ex-companies in there. Um, yeah, they've been around forever uh, since the beginning of this week in games. This platform that they're making is a suite of tools that sit on top of Unreal, and they recently announced $1 million towards paying creators to stay on the platform throughout the rest of their alpha phase. I guess they're in like private alpha or public alpha right now. Honestly, the same questions for Amanda and Core exist since the beginning. Um, if you get too successful, what stops Unreal from pulling the rug from under you? Your entire technology and main value is the Unreal Engine. So your tools are more just like accessibility, flow tools, you know, development tools, make everything easier, sit on top of Unreal, and then you want to launch a platform which you aggregate content and make a lot of money from the content sitting on top of the platform which sits on top of Unreal. So at the end of the day, if Manicore becomes too successful, Unreal could just be like, well, this is ours now, so stop using it. You know, like, I, I don't know. It's it's just like it just doesn't feel good to build so much tech dependent on someone else's technology and IP and property or asset that you don't own. That's my opinion. All right, next up, this this story is hilarious. You should read it in the show notes because it's full of good laughs. E executives are overpaid according to an executive pay activist group. So surprised is no one that EA executives overpay themselves according to Change to Win Investment Group. GameIndustry.biz has the story on EA executives granting themselves eight-figure stock grants each year and a pay-for-performance plan, even when the performance isn't particularly great. Like, EA isn't doing as bad as they were, you know, when they're on that major downward march, what was it, like 10 years ago? However, you can't just meet expectations and then grant yourself an eight-figure performance pay grant on top. So, like, one of the executives makes $6.6 million a year in just stock grants and then gave themselves $10 million extra a year based on performance, but the performance wasn't any better than the year before. So it's just it's just ridiculous. This happens everywhere in the industry. Everyone loves to pick on EA. You know, EA sucks. That's like the game industry motto almost. But, you know, let, let's be fair. This isn't just EA. This is happening at Activision Blizzard. This is happening everywhere, even private companies. I don't want to, like, I'm not saying this happens at Valve, but, like, a company of Valve stature where they print money, you know, like, I'm sure there's someone overpaying themselves there. This has nothing to do with the game industry. It's just funny to make fun of EA. I don't know why. I'm sorry, EA, but, like, you guys are the punching bag of the industry. Now, the the one part I do have to call out is uh, this overpaying... I don't know, what what do you want to call it? This overpaying consulting project that this activist group did also included a 2019 period when EA left laid off 4% of their workforce. So it's hard for you to pay yourself eight figures in performance bonuses when you lay off 4% of the workforce and cite downward trending revenue. That's rough. There's no defending that. But greedy executives in the game industry, who would have known, right? <laughs> like, it's not surprising to anyone. And last up in our little news section, Ninja is streaming on YouTube gaming, but claims there's no exclusivity contract with Google right now. So I would say I don't really know the streaming world that well, but maybe not the best move. Like moving to another platform and giving the platform holder access to your numbers allows them to lowball you if they were going to give you an exclusivity offer, because now they have the math to back up that lowball. And they can do some funky things with the math to try to show that you're not worth as much. 
But, you know, just being on the platform, hoping maybe to get an exclusivity contract out of it, not the best thing. I imagine Ninja's in negotiations with Twitch right now for some kind of contract that Twitch, you know, gave a bunch of people who didn't jump ship, uh, like with Ninja and Shroud and these other people left for other platforms. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see how this whole streaming thing shakes out, you know? All right, let's get to the business news. Sony invests $250 million in Epic Games. So somewhat out of nowhere to someone like me, Sony purchases a minority in stake in Epic Games to the tune of $250 million. From the reports, this $250 million is in addition to the $750 million Epic is currently raising in a private venture round. I covered that, I think, two weeks ago. The press report on the investment states that it is the, quote, brought in their collaboration across Sony's leading portfolio of entertainment assets and technology, an epic social entertainment platform and digital ecosystem to create unique experiences for consumers and creatives. That means absolutely nothing. As we all know, that's just garbly gloop that they put out in press reports. I just included it in there because it's like how like, these things can write themselves like some kind of AI writes press reports that somehow say a bunch of words and mean absolutely nothing. I don't know. Let me just use my Nostradamus ball and try to make up a reason for why this is. I mean, obviously, Epic's great. A lot of people want to partner with them. Uh, If you get a minority stake in a company, you get a voice that's heard. Also, it reads to me like, you know, Sony wants some kind of favored licensing deal with the Unreal Engine, allowing Sony to switch all their first-party studios to the Unreal Engine with a better revenue cut than is available to general game developers. I don't know, is Unreal Engine, I don't know what they are right now. It could be um, Unreal Engine revenue share. Like I'm doing this real time. Okay, it's 5% now. So right now, after your first million dollars, you have to get 5% Unreal. Maybe this type of minority stake, sign some kind of favored licensing deal where that number is much lower and allows Sony over the next X years to, you know, pay 1% revenue royalty to Epic. Who knows? But that's what this investment kind of reads to me. It reads to me as a technology investment so that Sony and Epic can work better in a technology sense rather than a publishing or game developer sense, but could be wrong. Let's see what gets announced for PS5. Maybe something's coming down the pipeline. All right, next up in business news, Tencent joins the bidding action on Warframe developer Leiyu Technologies. So Bloomberg is reporting that Hong Kong-based Leiyu Technologies, known for the free-to-play PC game Warframe, has advanced to exclusive talks with Tencent on purchasing or privatizing the company. This comes after Sony was courting the developers for the exact same thing. Um, and it created a small bidding war before Tencent went out. Leiyu trades at a market cap of $1.1 billion. Wow. Man, Warframe pulling in that $1.1 billion market evaluation. Good job, guys. Like, that's, <laughs> I, I'm truly impressed. That's really great. Yes, this makes no sense. Uh, or, sorry, this makes so much sense. With everything going on in Hong Kong right now, if you're keeping up with what's going on with the CCP in Hong Kong, Leiyu would be much better in the hands of Tencent, where they can use Tencent as a giant buffer between them and regulation or anything else from the CCP. If they went with Sony, who's famously a Japanese company, maybe it would leave them open to some kind of vulnerability from the Chinese Communist Party. That's my guess. If your main playground is China, you got to work with Tencent or NetEase. You know, they can get you through regulations. They can get you through game licensing. They can be a buffer for you for the CCP. 
Makes sense, guys. Don't go to CERN if you're trying to, if you're based in uh, Hong Kong or China. All right, next up, Trap Light Games raises $9 million in a venture round for War Chest to support their latest game. So this was a small story, but I wanted to highlight it. Finland-based mobile developer Trap Light Games closed their latest venture round, which was led by EQT Ventures, but featured other game industry investors like Play Ventures. Play Ventures is on here all the time always investing in great companies, bringing their total fundraising to $13.6 million. This money will be a UAA marketing war chest to support their latest game, Battle Legion, a strategy game that's already launched worldwide now. But man, I, I just wanted to bring this up as like, this is what companies have to do. Like they went out, they tried to get as much money as possible. They got $9 million in a venture round, um, more than their previous seed in alpha round, which looks like combined to be $4.6 million. And it's sad because I feel like $9 million is nothing in the strategy category on mobile. Like, it's nothing. Just think about what Game of War and Mobile Strike and all those horrible games were spending in their heyday. Like, $9 million, I don't know if that gets you to the top 20 on mobile strategy. Maybe it does. So what I'm saying is I'm hoping that they made a quality game. They have great, targeted, calculated UA spend with a little luck, they can climb to the top and dethrone some of these people who have been there forever. But, man, it's sad. it's sad when you see game companies make the game, launch it, and then realize they need to go raise more, like 3x more than they ever raised before just on UA, just to have a chance in mobile. And so it's rough, but it's an interesting story, and it's great that like we can see these numbers and we can see you know what people are doing. So... That's it for the news. All right, I want to get into a hiatus section. I just want to go over some things. Um, you know, I've been doing this podcast for two and a half years. I started it originally to make myself accountable for keeping up with the game industry news. I didn't expect anyone to have listeners, you know. Um, I'm not going to go over my listener numbers. They blow my mind sometimes, though. I have to be honest. Some weeks I'm like, wow, this many people listen to my podcast. It's, it's amazing. Um, thank you for listening for coming here um i want to go and just you know most of my news is freely available you can go to crunchbase and create an account you can go to gameindustry.biz you can go to gamasutra you can read polygon and kotaku and all these other things you can read venturebeat and TechCrunch, and that's basically what i do and i just aggregate all of these throw in a little spice of commentary from my point of view and try to give you guys the news in 20 weeks and that was the original goal of this podcast as it grew I found myself having to research more and more to try to get some kind of edge or some kind of angle that you didn't get from a hot take like news headline. And this podcast, you know, sure, it's only 20 minutes and a lot of it's me rambling, but it takes me anywhere from four to eight hours every week of research and reading and typing up a script and doing all of this. Um, Yeah, four to six hours, four to eight hours every week, some weeks even more. The average, I would say, is six. And I just want to thank you guys for listening every week. One thing is I really wanted to have more guests on here. I really plan to have guest co-hosts, but it seems companies don't want their employees on podcasts. And obviously, they can't control the narrative or message that that employee says. And if someone is on here representing a director at XYZ Game Company, and then they say something and that goes against the company that can be taken as like uh, negative for the company and be presented in a bad spotlight. So if I have a director on here and they say that game sucks and then the next headline on 
Gamma Sutra is director of blah, 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 XYZ company says this game sucks on random person's podcast, <laughs> you know, and I see their point of view. It just sucks because these podcasts let you into the mind of people. They like humanize directors at various companies and it could be a big positive. You could hear a bunch of great things about a person. They could get you excited. You can then connect better with the products that that person makes and might want to check out those products further. So I see the negatives, but I still think the upside is there. Maybe when I come back from the hiatus, I can get more and more guests and you don't just hear me ramble every week. So next up, I definitely should cover one of my most impactful episodes I ever did. Um, It was an episode on GDC's new policy at speakers on conferences. So I had my highest listener count ever. It was higher than I ever thought I would ever get to. And then I had an episode where I spoke against GDC's requirements to have 125% population representation of what GDC labels as underrepresented groups as speakers at game industry conferences. So the example was, um, it's 25% of the population of that conference is female. No, 20% of the population of that conference, game developer conference is female. Then 25% of the speakers need to be female. And then I said like something to the effect of, what does all like straight, white, Asian or Indian males, then like, you know, it's effectively feels like it's just like saying that we're bad or the problem and that we need to move them out and we're evil or something. I don't remember. We can go back and listen to the episode. I said something to that effect. Um, after that episode, my listener count was cut by 75%. So like, I, I those of you are listening, you're the 25% that stuck with me after that episode. Apparently, everyone hated it. Everyone hated my take on it. Um, I had a lot of discussions with people out in real life or in text form after that episode. So I wanted to address it further. Like, let me explain where I'm coming from, and then let me explain uh, all the ideas in my head. And, you know, I think maybe you'll feel better after this. So I'm supporting more diversity of ideas in the game industry. You can't control your skin color or your biological gender you were born with. The ideas and what you bring to the table are what matter to me. It's funny because when I read the things like the GDC mandate, it reads like GDC is shoehorning people based on their gender, skin color, sexual preference, or religion. Like black game developers must bring aspects of the black community to their game development. But what if a black game developer wants to make games starring anime characters and doesn't want to address race or anything that what it means to be black in the games that they make? Are they expected to? What about Jewish developers? Are they expected to bring religion to the table of every discussion they have in the game industry? Um, To me, it's about the ideas and what the person makes, not this array of labels that everyone wants to put on people and then judge people by those labels. It goes back when I was a kid. It was like, you know, the saying, like, don't judge a book by its cover, judge it by its contents. But then I don't know more. I understand that the cover has gotten people not like treated very terribly because of their covers and that covers do matter a lot. So I see the other side of the fence, and I understand and support all the feelings against what I just said. So I've had this discussion multiple times with people who are game developers on the underrepresented groups list. Most, if not all, of these groups have been or still are treated differently and negatively because of their differences. 
And by differences, I guess we're all saying white male is the standard. So anyone different from that, um, and then there, there's an array of differences from the white male standard, and that normalizes, I guess, how negatively you're treated. The latest Me Too waves in the game industry, um, I really don't think those would have happened if we had more members of these groups in position of the power in the industry. So that I 100% agree that if we had more female executives at game industry and at game studios, some, if not all, of this behavior wouldn't have occurred. Let's say theoretically half of Ubisoft's senior leadership and executives were female. I, I don't think we would have any of these culture problems or Me Too things at Ubisoft. I, you know, I mean, sure, there's going to be some amount of behavior, both male and female, as you heard me cover, sadly, with the Smash Brothers community. Like, everyone's capable of sexual assault or sexual harassment, but I think more, like, diversity of leadership and gender and sexual orientation probably would make a more respective and empathetic culture at a company. And then I see the other problem with it. So a lot of people don't like this part of the discussion. Senior executive leaderships can be a chicken and egg problem. Like only a small percent between two and 15, like I'm going to go through an example with uh, female engineering. And this is a discussion I've had with lots of people. Like why is the number of female leaderships or female executives in, in programming or engineering, why are there so few? And it really is like a chicken and egg problem. Only a small percent between 2 and 15%, depending on what you read, of computer science graduates are female. But most tech companies desperately want male-to-female parity with tech leadership. Like Google, when I worked there, actively wanted, you know, 50% male-to-female uh, tech leadership. Like they promoted it. Um, you know, you could get so much mentorship and resources available to you if you were a female engineer. It's hard because there aren't enough women in engineering and any of those women engineers, how many of them could theoretically be put in leadership positions? So you have to take a step back and like what percent of engineers can be leaders, regardless of like, you know, again, religion, uh, gender, sexuality, race. Let's just say 5% of engineers, regardless of gender, are qualified to be leaders. Then that makes it like, 3% or less of your engineers are women qualified to be leaders. And that number is probably much, much lower. And this is a hypothetical situation, but you see the issues there are in the lack of underrepresented groups acquiring the degrees or work experiences to get the jobs to begin with, combined with the ratio of people in those jobs that are able to become executives or leaders. And then the question is, are there so few women entering engineering because there are so few women engineers or visible women in engineering or leadership women in engineering positions to begin with, I say yes. Like if we had more women visibly like displayed like Elon Musk, like this woman created this crazy rocket thing and now this rocket thing super successful and making a lot of money. I think more and more of that leads to more women entering engineering, which then the problem will hopefully solve itself out. And I'll give you an example. So a great example is a Muslim friend of mine has kids. He's really into comic books. He tried to get his daughter who wears a hijab in the comics, but nothing could stick. She wasn't interested. Then Marvel made Miss Marvel, this new Miss Marvel starring uh, 
Kamala Khan, which is a Muslim Pakistani American that lives in New Jersey. His family loved the comic and their kids, specifically his daughter, could connect with this fictional hero that represented her and she could relate to the problems she had. I think there was like an issue where the kids were like other kids were making fun of her hijab because I think Kamala Khan, I haven't read the comic, sorry guys, wears a hijab at different points in the comic book and I think other kids were making fun of her and that his daughter was like, I've experienced that myself. This is great. I love this character. They dove into comics from there, and the rest is history. I've heard similar stories from NPR podcasts on black Americans and science or law that having a visible person of color that people can relate to, increasing the number of black students enrolling in those subjects and earning PhDs in those subjects. So there is like a whole, like, if you have people of this minority group, underrepresented group, in positions of power and visible, I 100% think more people will enter those fields. So again, it's like a weird chicken and egg problem. And the answer we're going with right now as a country, or I see like society kind of pushing for this answer, is promote people, um, like mentor and promote those and those underrepresented groups because then the problem will hopefully solve itself. Um, so I'm torn. I'm torn and I don't have a solution. Like on one hand, I want to believe the contents of a man are more important than the color of their skin. On the other hand, uh, that isn't true. Maybe it will be someday, but that isn't true. Unfortunately, society, you know, I've watched Remember the Titans too many times, but unfortunately, that's not true. People are always going to be judged by the color of their skin and what they look. Hell, I, I mean, let's even take race and all these uh, subjects out of it attractive people have a much easier time in life like that's scientifically proven tall males are way more likely to become senior leaders and executives than short males i mean it's it's a numbers game you can look at the numbers there are a lot of studies on this so what you look like has a lot to do with stuff and i don't want to you know the one thing that keeps me to my diversity idea is that game developers aren't visible but our creations are and so the end result should be like what should be diverse not who made the end result and here's a hypothetical you know divisive situation what if we made the most diverse team of game industry developers in history like pick every underrepresented minority group there's one of them on there it's like a captain planet team you know but what if that team made another game where a white muscular male hero with short brown hair was killing people or monsters you know did it matter that the team was the most diverse team in game history and then I, I know the answer, like, this is very divisive, um, and it's very stupid. Like, clearly, a super device team or diverse team wouldn't make, you know, the most undiverse game. But what if they did? Like, then the end result doesn't matter. And it, like, leads me back to why, why I still stick with the diversity ideas and not the diversity of these other labels that GDC chose. And so this is where we are. You know, and then we can even get into hiring practices. We should have completely blind hiring practices so that gender, race, religion, age, and other labels don't discriminate. And it's what the person brings into it. And then that should hopefully like highlight people, such as like maybe a black game developer who struggled with racism can now bring racism and different unique creativity vectors from that struggle with racism to the projects they make. And then hopefully the hiring practice could bring that out, that this is a unique voice that could help the game 
in its own unique way. So I understand like there's no answer. Like nobody can change their genetic makeup and nobody should change their sexual identity, gender identity, or religion to satisfy an industry. But we can all, from my point of view, we can all change the games we produce. So I want the industry to pay less attention to labels so that labels developers can't control and more attention to what the person can control, which is what they're doing, creating, and saying with their works. That's my point of view. If you disagree with me and what I think, I honestly probably agree with your ideas as well. Like I just told the story of like Marvel making that uh, Pakistani Muslim female superhero and it completely changing like my friend's daughter's perception of comic books and maybe she'll even one day create like a great comic book you know and it all came from that deliberate choice to do that thing so I agree with all the counter ideas like there's no clear solution and this is a real complex issue issue of diversity within our industry both in terms of employees leaders and the products we make and these are just my thoughts and like everyone else um i am who i am today and what i but what i believe in who i am changes all the time right and so i think we just need to accept that i don't know like we're not bound by our previous ideas and we're always growing and always accepting new information so this is what i believe now Maybe I'll change my mind completely. I understand it's a complex issue, but man, a, a lot of people did not like my take on it. So I wanted to go in there um, and really explain like where I was mentally. All right, let's get to some more fun things. What I've learned over the last two and a half years. So first off, don't chase trends. When I started this podcast, blockchain was like half of the things raising seed or series a right everything had blockchain in it and then it became esports it became esports teams esports games esports viewing platforms esports ad agencies esports this esports that right and that went on for maybe even a year and a half it still kind of goes on now um vr and ar was big so like i've been doing this two and a half years maybe two years ago tons of vr tons of vr Raising Series A, Series B, people leaving big companies to start VR game companies. VR was everything. And then now today it's platforms. Everything's got to be a platform. Everything's got to be UGC. Other people make money for you, blah, 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 blah. And what I'll say is don't bother chasing whatever buzzword Silicon Valley wants to hear. Just make great games. You know, Find what you're driven to make and make it the best whatever it is possible. That's it. It's as simple as that. Like, there's so many successful games that are wildly different from each other. This industry can truly support any game, um, anything, and everything can make money. Minecraft makes billions of dollars, and it's effectively a premium game. And everyone will say you have to go free to play. And then, you know, on the flip side of that, GTA Five is still a massive blockbuster that's still making money to this day because Rockstar poured hundreds of millions of dollars into it. So everything can work. All ideas can work in this industry and don't trace chins. All right, next up, stop looking at leaders who don't make games. So I don't cover these stories, but I read these stories or hear these podcasts all the time. Every week there are these VCs or bankers or executives all making claims about the future of the game industry or how to make great games or some other nonsense, right? And it's like, why does our industry constantly put spotlight on people that have never been a part of a game development team? Why do we listen to some VC that woke up three months ago and decided to get on the video game bandwagon 
and rebrand themselves as the game VC, when they come from like uber growth teams or classic investment banking at Goldman Sachs or other stuff, it's like these people have never made games and yet they have a bigger spotlight than, I don't know, like the lead designer on The Last of Us 2. You know, their names are out there more than anyone else's than even the people who really matter in our industry. Like working, me personally, I've worked in the industry and I've had countless times where I got a new boss or there was a boss who's never even worked on a game, but suddenly somehow became an executive at a game company and proceeded to take control of game teams and tell them how to make games. And it's never ended well. I mean, it's not surprising, but I've had investment bankers, uh, failed lawyers, tons of people who come in there never worked on a game and somehow find themselves telling the 20 year vets how to make games. And then it pretty much never works, but they're fine. Cause they're an executive. The 20 year vet gets laid off. They get a bonus and it's like, we need to stop. Yeah. Let's stop spotlighting non-developers. Let's stop putting people in charge who haven't worked on games. This has to stop. When you see a lot of these companies go bankrupt or fire people, a lot of times because of this exact thing. All right. Next up. Don't play in crowded areas. Too many companies are trying to compete in areas where tens of millions of dollars are lost every week on UA. Hyper-casual, mobile strategy, social casinos, match three. Stop making games in an area where everyone is making games and expected to generate revenue. Find underserved areas. We need more Crowdstar. Crowdstar made uh, games about couture fashion or home design. and They made millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars because of that. You know, there's so much unspent money in the industry. You can go get it. I roll my eyes every time I see like some MOBA or something else getting made. It's like, why bother? You know, that industry is on lock. And unless you bring something completely unique and counterculture to it, the example I like to give is like how Nirvana and grunge destroyed hair metal in the late eight or in the early, early 90s. Like unless you're Nirvana destroying the grunge that is the current MOBA incumbents, don't make a MOBA studio. And this will lead into my last point. Don't let anyone kill your dream. What I just said could be bullshit. I'm wrong all the time. And I, I definitely am in the top 10th percentile of informed people in the industry maybe even higher. And I've been wrong numerous times over the past two and a half years. I laugh because like Roblox, I constantly talk shit about Roblox and they just keep making more and more money. Now Roblox is so successful that VCs want everyone to become Roblox because they just like everyone's salivating at Roblox as a valuation. I've, I, every time Roblox raises money, I say that they're going to fail and they keep, you know, proving me wrong. I've been right a bunch, but I've been wrong sometimes too. The industry is full of dream killers that uh, put down any new or innovative idea. and But the industry was also built upon people who marched their own tune. And those people are normally thought of as weird until what they become, what they create becomes mainstream. So even if I say something like, don't make a MOBA that's just like League of Legends, there's already a League of Legends. You can't compete in that space. I could be wrong. You could go make it. And I honestly encourage you to prove me wrong. And this goes back to like, the first point, which is don't chase trends, don't listen to people, don't look up to people. I mean, listen, you can listen to me, but don't let me guide your life. Like I'm just one data point. Make whatever you want. I've been wrong. Everybody's been wrong. No one in their right mind when Minecraft was in beta would tell you that Minecraft would sell to Microsoft for billions of dollars. So 
everyone's wrong all the time. No one knows where the hell this industry is going. <laughs> so the only thing you can do is stay true to yourself and keep trying to make great games. So that's my last point, And that's the point of the game industry. Just make great games like everything else. All this UA, all this series A, series B. If you try to like game the system and read too much into it, you're never going to get anywhere. If you make games, that game you made still might fail, but then you'll have a great game on your resume and then it'll be easier to make the next great game. And then if you keep making great games, one of them is going to succeed financially. So that's the game industry. All right. All right. That's it, guys. Um, this is the hiatus episode. So I will be back at some point in 2020, but I can't promise you when. So I'm not going to say if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Um, don't leave me a comment on how I'm doing. Don't email me at eric at thisweekingames.com because I'm on hiatus. Um, but the show notes does have the stories you've heard today in today's episode. So check those out if you're interested. All right. I'm Eric McConnell. I'll see you guys sometime in the future. Thanks for listening and take care out there. Bye.